This is episode 48 of the 99 Forever podcast. I'm Eric Friesen, and joining me to recap the Edmonton Oilers' victory over the Los Angeles Kings in Game 7 and preview the first playoff edition of the Battle of Alberta in 31 years are two contributors for HeavyHockey.com, Mike Dursa and Kirk Morris. Guys, how are you doing tonight? Doing uh, pretty well. Getting a little nervous for uh, game one tomorrow, but uh, excited to get it going. Doing good here too, man. Yeah, likewise. Just uh, getting anxious. Want to want to see some good old time hockey there. Yeah. So you're uh, you're not still riding the high from game seven. You're just completely focused on the next series now. <laughs> kind of, sorta. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I I wrote an article there and posted well you posted there this morning so pretty much sums it up right there uh it was a damn good game yeah that that was probably the best game they had all all playoffs um just like i said in the article they sensed it down defensively and and didn't really give la any uh any chance to breathe at least that's what i thought anyways yeah, I mean, I think that's an instant Party classic. Like a rock star Saturday night, but uh, as Kobe <laughs> Bryant would say, job's not finished. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, like w- when you look at that game in the McDavid era, it's got to be one of the most important games or biggest wins that he's been a part of and that this group has been a part of, wouldn't you say? Well, absolutely. Uh-oh. I mean, I think the only one that you could argue might be bigger was in 2017 when they went to uh, the seventh game of the second round and were that close, one goal away from going to the conference final. But um, just what a what a great game for for this fan base and for you know everyone that's stuck with it through this team, you know, for for so many years. Absolutely, you know, Eric, man. I'll, I'll oh, say, sorry, uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll say this might have actually been bigger than. 2017 just because of the way they went out the last two years yeah i I mean that definitely plays a part in it i i think there's probably higher expectations for this group because of where mcdavid and dreisaitl are in their careers as opposed to in uh, 2017 it was only connor's second year in the league it was leon's second full season so yeah i mean when you think of it from that perspective like uh, this team needed to take a step forward for a long time. And, and they, they should have won the last two years in the first round. So for them to finally get over that hump, I think was a, was a big thing for them. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, I can't, uh, it, it was a bummer the last two years, you know, like especially last year, you know, that they, 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 they had it like uh, at least mm-hmm. Mike's Mike Smith's, pretty much backstopped they like he played his arse off and they just couldn't get over that hump and yeah it's it's i think they're even better than the 2017 team is, is in my opinion anyways they're uh just with the way that that woodcroft has them playing like uh, i i think woody is has come in and you know kind of tempered them down when they're starting to you know maybe get a little out of their element um, the positivity that he brings there too is just insane. Yeah. 
And, and you know what, guys? Like, honestly, I don't think I've ever been more excited to record an episode of this show before because for the first time since I started the 99 Forever podcast in 2019, we have an Oilers series victory to talk about. And, I mean, it all starts with that 2 nothing victory over the Kings in Game 7. Connor McDavid was outstanding with a goal and an assist. Mike Smith stopped all 29 shots he faced for the shutout as the Oilers won the game, as I said, 2 nothing and advanced to the second round for just the first time in five years. And you could just see the joy on the players' faces after McDavid buried the dagger with less than four minutes to play. It's what this team needed. It's what the fans in oil country needed. So I think we have to start by talking about McDavid tonight. Can you recall a more impressive Game 7 performance in recent memory than what we saw from number 97 on Saturday? Uh, Mike, I'll start with you. You know, the the edge work exhibition that Connor put on is something I've never seen before. And he didn't score on it, and he didn't set anybody up, but... Um, I think it was in the third period. He kind of made the double kind of turn move similar to what he did against Anaheim when he scored, but this time he added another spin. It was just incredible to watch. I mean, the, the you're in a high-pressure situation, and, and to have the presence of mind to be shaking people left, right, and center just to buy time with the puck to make a play was unbelievable. I mean... Um, he had a goal and an assist, I guess, to show for it. But, I mean, he was putting on a clinic all, all game. It was incredible. Like, really, honestly, since the tail end of Game 5, he was kind of willing this team into the fight. And in Game 6 and Game, game 7, he, he was willing them to victories when it mattered the most. And, and that's what you want out of your leader. That's what you want out of a captain. And that's what you want out of Connor McDavid. Absolutely. I mean... Everyone's going to focus on his scintillating performance in Game 7, but like you said, he was fantastic in Game 6 as well. Uh, when they were down by two goals in Game 5, he helped orchestrate that comeback to get the game to overtime. Just a, a fantastic series, a fantastic Game 7 from the captain of this hockey team. Uh, Kirk, uh, go ahead. What more can you add to that? What can you say about the, the game that uh, the Oilers captain had in, in uh, the most important game of the year? It was like he was just juiced. Like, he just couldn't be stopped, man. Like, uh, just uh, like Leon said there at the end of the game, you know, during the post-game post, uh, post presser there, like he just said he literally willed this team into the second round. And um, I, I, I'm i with Durst. Like, I, I think that's probably the best performance I, I've seen him. Like, and I wasn't even in the building. I was in the building for game two and I thought he played a pretty darn good game then too. But that, that game seven, uh, I, I think is going to have people talking for, for many years to come. Absolutely. And you know, Connor McDavid really has been the most dominant offensive player since he entered the league in 2015. I mean, he already has five 100 point seasons. He's won nine individual awards all by the age of 25, but as great as he's been in the regular season, his legacy will be made in the playoffs. And in what was arguably the most pressure-packed game of his career, 
I think McDavid had his most complete performance as an NHL player in Game 7. Um, here's his stat line from the game. He had a goal, an assist, five shots, two takeaways, four hits, and a plus two rating in 27 minutes and 23 seconds of ice time. He also tied the NHL record for most multi-point games in a playoff series with six. Uh, McDavid also joined Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier, Paul Coffey as the only players in franchise history to record 10 assists in a single playoff series. I mean, just you can't say enough about what he's done offensively, but, uh, you know, he just continues to get better in other aspects of his game uh, on draws, uh, battling in the corners for pucks, winning those battles. Uh, the defensive side of his game has taken a step forward. Uh, Mike, just what are you seeing from him outside of the obvious offensive brilliance that he brings to the table on a nightly basis? There, there's a commitment to defending better to, you know, get the puck, get the puck back when he doesn't have it anymore. More, more recently, I think there's like shades of Pavel Datsuk or Henrik Zetterberg from Detroit when, you know, those guys would, would back check just as hard as, as they would go the other way. I, I think that's really... What, what you see from Connor, he just doesn't want to lose. So he, he does everything it takes to, to win hockey games now, you know, within his power. And uh, it's, it's incredible to watch. Uh, Kirk, did you think that Connor would reach this level, uh, not just as an offensive player, but uh, his two-way skills, taking his, uh, the other elements of his game to the, the next level as well? Well, I think he just needed the proper push, you know, and leaning back towards last year again, like they didn't want to, you know, fall back into that rut. And the one thing that really impressed me the most was uh, he set the tone for game seven by hitting Sean Dersey. Like he literally, yeah. just, he, he literally set the tone and that, that when everybody else on the bench, you know, looks at it, like, oh, okay, I'm going to step it up type of deal. And it was just like a wave. Like it just, yeah, it just, it, it, and you know, it definitely had an impact player, on the team. Yeah. And, and sorry uh, to jump in there, but when, when your best player is willing to throw the body and play physical, it's pretty hard for every other guy on the team not to do that as well. Right. And I think you said it perfectly. He set the tone with that hit early on. And and speaking of Sean Dersey, it's kind of funny that on the insurance marker that he sc- uh, that Connor scored late in the game, Dersey hooked him and completely gave up on the play after that. And Connor is the last guy in the world that you would want to just stop playing against, as he just quickly looped around the net and you know buried the backhand shot. I mean. I think that was a rookie mistake by him and uh, the best player in the world putting on a, like you kind of said, a clinic and, and just uh, willing this team to victory. Well, yeah. And uh, the, the, the cardinal rule is you don't, you don't stop playing until the whistle's blown. And just, just like, as you said there, he just gave up and then so did uh, Andreas Athanasiu. Like it just, they figured they touched, you know, touched up the puck, but there was no whistle blown down. And so, yeah, it's kind of on them, actually, you know, and just allowed Connor to waltz right in and, and fork it home. Mike, what did you see on that play? Did, did you think it should have been blown down, or was that a a, a good goal? Uh, I don't think Anthony Sioux actually had control of the puck, and that's kind Me of neither. the rule. And he was frozen in time by Connor, and that was all it took. 
Yeah. And I think Kings fans are probably going to be a little uh, upset about that one, considering uh, it's a one goal game uh, late in the contest. But I I would put the blame on their own players. They were standing around while the best player in the world has the puck behind their own net. I mean, Kirk, you said it perfectly. You don't stop playing until the whistle. And uh, he made that look pretty, uh, pretty elementary. And the the celebration after was was incredible, too. It was Yakupov esque. (laughs) Um, yeah, definitely, man. If he doesn't, if he doesn't finish that off, we've got a power play, and I'm pretty sure we ice it anyways. So, yeah, but Kings I, fans can cry all they want; it's over. Exactly, but you know what? I'm glad that he did score because it just made that victory even more memorable. That your best player comes through in the clutch, scores that goal to send the game or to send the, his team to the second round of the playoffs. I mean, you, you couldn't ask for a better finish to a game seven. Yeah, no, uh, it, it was perfect, man. Like, uh, and it literally lit up the crowd there. And that, that crowd was something else there, too, I got to say. Like that. And the guys noticed it there as well. Like, even Smitty said there in the end, like, that's that's probably the loudest that crowd's ever been. So, or the building's ever been. So, yeah. When, that's that's awesome. When you got the crowd on your side, man, it's it's pretty hard to overcome that for sure. Definitely. And, you know, looking at the other end of the ice, uh, there were a lot of Oilers fans angry with Mike Smith after his costly gaffe in game one. Uh, Some were even calling for Miko Koskinen to start game two, but Smith owned up to it. He came back and posted two shutouts in the series, including one in the biggest game of the season to backstop the Oilers to a playoff series victory. Uh, Kirk, he didn't face a ton of glorious chances in that game, but he was stellar when the Oilers needed him to be, wasn't he? Yeah, no, the, well, the Oilers basically owned the second period. They, they were practically in the LA end there for the entire second period with all those missed, missed opportunities. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, uh, I, I, like I said, my article there from this morning, like I, I thought he owned up to it. Um, he, he himself, he said, I made a mistake. You know, you just got to move on and it's, it's only one game. You got to look ahead, not back. And, and uh, he, I, I thought he was one of the, one of the, the, the bright, bright lights here during the series. You know, through thick and thin. You, know, you can see what you can there about the overtime loss there in Game Five. You know, I think, I don't know if the entire team was fighting illness or what, but you know, it is where it is. Um, and now they, now they're moving on. You know, it's the main thing. Yeah, uh, Mike, what can you say about Smith uh, coming through in the clutch and uh, uh, posting a shutout uh, for for his team in in Game 7? Well, I definitely didn't have a Mike Smith shutout in Game 7 on my (laughs) bingo card when this whole series opened up, I'll say that. Um, You know, he he didn't have to face a a lot of shots, but there were, were some dangerous chances, and he didn't give LA a sniff. Yeah, I mean, he he was good when he needed to be, but the Oilers controlled most of that game. I mean, the, the shots were heavily in their favor. Um, I, I can't remember more than maybe two point-blank chances for the Kings in that game. So, uh, you know, even making those saves really got the crowd into it and, and gave the fans confidence in, in him again. And, you know, when I look at how Smith has played over the last month and a half, he was the second star of the month in in April. Went nine zero and zero. 
came into the playoffs, had a rough start, but rebounded with four wins in the last six games. I, I just think that he's giving the Oilers the type of goaltending they need to go on a run. And it might be early to say that because we're just through the first round. But if he continues to play this way, I think that they have a, a good chance to you know win another series here. Uh, Kirk, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, 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 well, what you said there was some fans were pretty riled up after game one. And I, it was just like the, during the regular season, you know, like, you know what he's going to do. He's going to try to, you know, play the puck, you know, feed it up ice or either to the defenseman or, or to the forwards and, and get him get him on a breakout situation and just moving ahead. Like if he continues to be the same, like he's posted a 931 save percentage there. I think, I think it was 931 if I'm not mistaken, going forward there against Calgary, like Calgary is going to be, you know, they're, they're going to have to, to, to make a move there, like to to really get on, really get under his skin and 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 try to try to get him out of his element there. But I, I think you know with with all that veteran experience, he'll he'll be fine. I'm not sure think, of it. Yeah, I think he's also going to be really fired up to play his old team as well. And Mike Smith isn't a guy who seems to need a lot of motivation anyway. He's a pretty fiery character, but. Having the chance to beat his old club in the playoffs, I think we're going to see a really dialed in Mike Smith uh, when uh, they drop the puck tomorrow night. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, no, uh, <laughs> maybe some bad blood there will we'll erupt <laughs> again and maybe, maybe another fight, you know, maybe another goalie fight will erupt, you know, you never know, right, Durs? I, you know, this won't happen, but I'd love to see him go for long skates after every puck he, he freezes, but uh, we won't see that. He'll be right in there and fight. What are the chances Mike Smith takes a penalty in this series? I, I think those are pretty good odds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope that he can keep it to one or two. I mean, uh, any, any more than that, it's getting a little excessive, but I think he'll, he won't be able to help himself at least once. Yeah, no, I, I'll take two on the over or under. <laughs> I, I can just see Kachuk will get in his kitchen time after time one game, and, and he'll just have enough of it, and, and there will be a hack on the back of his legs or something like that, and it'll put the Oilers down for two minutes. But, uh, you know, if if, uh, if Kachuk gets chopped once or twice, I think that'll be a, a well-worth penalty. <laughs> Kachuk won't be the only one in yeah. Um, and, and you know what, guys, as Jay Woodcroft often says, I, I thought that was a great team win. And I can't think of one guy who had an off night, but other than McDavid and Smith, who were clearly the first and second stars of the game, did anyone else really stand out to you in game seven? Mike, go ahead. Um, I thought we had really good poise from the back end and and basically everybody um i thought cody cc you know obviously scored the goal and that was a goal where he you know he outweighed jonathan quick and and you know sniped the shot but it was a it was poise and uh you know keith and bouchard earlier in the series had some struggles but, but in game six and game seven those guys were lights out too um, you know, getting to pucks and, and using his legs, although even though everybody wants to say he's not 100%, uh, you know, I, I thought our I thought our D really stepped up and controlled 
the game. Zach Hyman was was a force. Seidel or, or Mario Lemieux. Um, yeah, I thought he played well. Yamamoto was kind of going going to the nets and and you know playing hard. I don't know that you know in a game seven to win game sevens, you need everybody on board, and I I think that's kind of what we got there. Yeah, that was as close to uh, their best team effort that I think we've seen all season. Um, Kirk, did anyone really catch your eye in the game? Who do you think was a, a standout player for the Oil? I'll just hop on like uh what what there said there like i thought yamamoto was was fired up there he you know his usual self there trying to get into you know uh quick's kitchen and trying to you know trying to get him aggravated trying to get him off his game um i thought you know just everybody just throwing out hits like i said after mcdavid threw that hit on Dursey, i think everybody just followed suit um Mm -hmm with the physical play you know and kept kept la there you know with with limited chances they're especially playing that 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 lockdown defense yeah for sure i mean it, it's hard to to pinpoint you know one guy who was you know better than the rest of the group I, like you said yamamoto i thought uh, had a really strong game. Ha- obviously, had the assist. I-, I like that he chipped the puck into open ice and just kind of let Connor skate into it. Um, he also had such a point blank chance earlier that he didn't f- convert on. Um, Ryan McLeod, you know the way he's skating with the puck right now. You love to see it. He's just able to transition it up the ice so effortlessly. Uh, e- even a-, a guy like Josh Archibald. I mean, he he's a lower in the lineup, didn't play much this year, but he's just such a ten- tenacious physical player out there. Um, and I, I think he really adds something in the bottom six when he's on top of his game. Cody Cece, I mean, the the series clinching goal uh, on, on a nice ba- uh, pass uh, from down low uh, from McDavid that you know he obviously uh, put in the back of the net. Uh, probably the biggest goal of Cece's career, I would imagine. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to to say one of those guys stood out above the rest, but um, it just top to bottom, I, I really like the way that everyone in this lineup per- performed in that game. I mean, there, I mean, there were some guys who might have not had an overly noticeable game in a positive way, but I can't think of one guy who was like outright bad in that game. Yeah, no, I gotta agree. I didn't see anybody that was just a passenger in that game. I liked even what uh, Pugliarvi and Cassian were doing in, in limited minutes. Um, I uh, yeah, you, you needed all hands on deck to win a game seven, and that's what you got. For sure. All right, let's move on to the Battle of Alberta now, where the Oilers and Flames will face each other in the playoffs for the first time in 31 years at the Saddle Dome on Wednesday. But before we preview the upcoming series, I want to know if you guys have any memories from the last time these clubs met in the playoffs in 1991. Uh, Dursa, why don't you uh, take it away? Yeah, I was there when Theron Fleury scored. Oh, did his somersaults and slide on on the ice, and I remember being a heartbroken little boy uh, going home, and uh, then a couple nights later in Calgary, Essateekin did the same thing to Flames fans that were there, breaking their hearts and winning that series, and leading to uh, I believe our last Stanley Cup as a franchise. 
That was actually the year after the 90 Cup. Um, but they Yes, it was in 91. But they did reach the conference final where they were upset by the Minnesota North Stars in 1991. Um, Kirk, uh same for you. Do you have any memories of that 91 series? Uh, just as a Tekken and going, going legend. Um, <laughs> he, uh, that, that clapper there from the Calgary blue line was, was a classic and beating Mike Vernon there between the wickets. And uh, that, yeah. that, that's the one that's stood up there for me pretty much, you know, just as a Tekken in there at being down three, nothing. And then having us say, you know, fire up the team and, like I said, go legend the entire game and, and just filter down to everybody else. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, uh, I'm just pulling up the hockey reference game sheet from uh, that game on April 16th, 1991. The, the Flames actually took a 3 nothing lead in the first period. Um, and then Esatikin and scored late in the first to cut the deficit to two. The Oilers scored two more goals in the second and then one in the third. The Flames ended up scoring a late one to send it to overtime. And then that's when Tikkanen sealed the deal with uh, uh, once also perhaps the biggest goal of his career, uh, scoring that overtime winner, a very famous goal at the Saddle Dome. Um, and I believe that it was also Chris Cuthbert calling that game 31 years ago. So he'll be uh, doing the play-by-play for the series this year as well. And hopefully uh, he'll get to call another one of those Oilers OT winners. <laughs> oh, for sure, man. Yeah, I know. Uh, and he even said it on Twitter there. I think it was either yesterday or today. He's He said he can't believe he's he's getting another chance to to call another another battle of Alberta series there and he's definitely fired up for there as well and his broadcast partner there uh Craig Simpson the last time <laughs> that was the that that he was playing the last he was time playing there. in that series yeah yeah so he'll be he'll be pretty fired up as well I would imagine yeah and Craig Simpson doesn't get to do many Oilers games so I'm sure that that is something that he'll be excited to do uh call his old team where he won two Stanley Cups in 88 and 90 and I believe he still lives in Edmonton too so getting to stay at home uh or not have to travel very far to go to Calgary as well I'm sure it will be uh, nice for him um looking at ahead now uh Leon Dreisaitl clearly played through some serious discomfort after turning his ankle in Game 6 when he was taken down by, by Mikey Anderson after the whistle. However, he really gutted it out in Game 7 to help his team win the series. And Ken Holland confirmed on Bob Stoffer's show today that Dreisaitl will play in Game 1 tomorrow night. I just want to know, would you guys give Dreisaitl a couple extra days off to allow his ankle to heal, or is he just too valuable to keep out of the lineup, even if he isn't playing at 100%? Uh, Mike, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I'd like to know from the doctor really where he's at with that. He can do more damage to it, or if he's at a point of no return anyway, that would kind of help me make my decision on what I would do there, but I don't know. I, I don't think you want to give Calgary um, any any advantage throughout the series. So I I think if it was a 50-50 thing, I, I would dress them. And Kirk, how about you? I, I'd leave it up to the player personally. Uh, if, if Leon wants to play, let him play. Yeah. Uh, uh, it high high ankle sprains are no joke. I've had one there before, and it it can 
be pretty darn hard to to walk let alone skate there you know and push off on it so i uh yeah i i i personally leave it up to leon but i'm not the coach or the manager so yeah that's 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 a, that's from my point of view he definitely looks very labored when he's skating and you know he just he didn't seem to have the same power and explosiveness in his uh, his first step that he normally has and you know thankfully the oilers uh, didn't need him to carry the load offensively with Connor in, in uh, Game Seven. They were able to uh, put together a, a, a low-scoring, tight-checking win. Now he still did play a considerable amount of minutes. I, I believe he played over 18 minutes in that game, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so you know he was able to to still tough it out, but. Going into a, a game against the Flames, a, a tougher opponent in their barn. You know the Oilers really need to win at least one of the games at the Dome. Like uh, coming home with a split is crucial, um, and I think that even if Drysaitel is playing at only sixty percent or seventy percent, it's still worth having him out there because he's so smart. You know he makes great decisions with the puck. He, he passes the puck as well as anyone in the league especially on the backhand. He's the best passer in the league on the backhand. Um, and, you know, taking that uh, one-timer off the Oilers' power play, you know, that would be a huge weapon to lose. Uh, it's it's the second-best weapon the Oilers have behind McDavid's speed. So it would be a huge advantage for Calgary if he sat even one game, and I'm sure he knows that. So uh, it makes sense that uh, he would uh, end up playing uh, game one tomorrow night in Calgary. Um, we saw McDavid and Dreisaitl briefly reunited on the same line uh, when the Oilers were down in Game 5 and again in Game 6 against the Kings. Do you anticipate we'll see them play together at 5-on-5 five five again in this series? Uh, Kirk, how about you uh, lead things off? Well, it's always the nuclear option, right? And you can always defer back to it there. I think Woody will, will start, um, start them out, split apart, uh, depending on how Leon is with his ankle once again. Um, but... Yeah, no, it, I, I could definitely see him, you know, loading up that, that top line there to, to give it a push once again um, if they're in dire straits. But I I, I think for that, that game one there in, in Calgary, I think it'll be a litmus test. Everybody will try to, you know, feel out the game type of process and then go from there. And and uh, yeah, yeah, just see how it, how, how it all unfolds out. And Mike, how about you? Would you uh, keep uh, McDavid and Drysdale together, or do you like them better apart? You know, these last couple of days, and he's got some more mobi- mobility, and he can actually play center instead of having to play left wing. Then, yeah, you could go back to splitting them up. But I'm kind of thinking that if his if his ankle isn't very good, that he's going to be on Connor's wing, and Connor can do a lot of the heavy lifting, and Leon can just kind of glide along and go to the quiet areas of the ice and and score goals. And that's a good point too. I mean, putting those two together might not be a out of a desperate situation, but more that the Oilers just can't uh, have him down the middle right now because he's not able to play the center position as well as he'd like to. And, and the fact that they have multiple other centers, I mean, you can uh, have still Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Ryan McLeod down the middle. Uh, Devin Shore could play some center for you if he really needed to. Derek Ryan can play center. Like there's, there's enough yeah. options. 
And I, I mean, yes, it, it does take some of the talent off your second line by, you know, uh, taking a former MVP and uh, scoring champion uh, off that second unit, but putting him together with the best player in the world, as you described it, Kirk, I mean, that does give you the nuclear option. And e- even if it's only semi-nuclear because of how Dreisaitl's uh, feeling at the moment, it's, uh, it, it's still a pretty uh, great weapon to have in your arsenal. Yeah, for sure. Um, I <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised even in game one if, if like as Dursa said, it, it depends on how his ankle is shaping up there throughout the game. Um, it You can always, you know, I, I think Woody always goes to uh, load up the top line even at like the last minute of the, the periods or usually or whatever, you know, just to get yeah. that little extra push or so. I, I like that move if, that he does too. Oh yeah, no, it's it's a it's a shrewd tactic, you know, just to just to to you know try to sneak one in and before the period ends for sure. And remember, Dave Tippett often used to put them out together for a shift following a penalty kill. I don't know if we see it as often as we used to, but every once in a while, uh, they'll still uh, get a get a, about thirty seconds to forty five seconds together after killing off a, a penalty. Um, I just think that with with how he's able to to play right now, you want to give him the most sheltered minutes you can. And you know, playing with Connor McDavid, you know, you're not going to get sheltered minutes. Uh, so, um, but he might be able to do, like you said, kind of um, protect him a little bit, give take some of the load off because he doesn't have the pressure to drive his own line. He can he can kind of work his way back in. But once again, if this is a high ankle sprain, then it's not going to heal overnight. He might be dealing with it for the rest of the playoffs. And, you know, that's obviously a, a hindrance to the Oilers' chances to go on a deep run. So that was the only reason why I thought before maybe they give him a couple extra days to to rest. But, I mean, if he has even four more days, does it make that big of a difference? I'm not sure. Um, okay, uh, let's uh, let's talk about Jesse Pugliarvi now. And... You know, he's obviously a fan favorite in Edmonton, and and he has such strong two-way skills, but he had a tough series against the Kings with just two points in seven games and averaged under 10 minutes of ice time per night. Um, He he might also be playing through an injury right now, too. We're not 100% sure, but what does Pugliarvi need to do to have more of an impact against the Flames than he did against the Kings? Uh, Mike, what do you think? Um... I, I like the, the way he was playing in game seven. I, I thought he was playing more in straight lines. I like it, it might have been that, you know, um, LA with the puck, and he wasn't really going after the puck carrier. He was kind of making looping plays and taking the scenic route to, to you know, forecheck, and, and that doesn't really work in the playoffs. He might get away with that in the regular season, but... That is, that is not a winning strategy in the playoffs. So I think in Game 7, he kind of got into more of a heat-seeking missile mode where you know, he was going right at the guy that was had the puck and, and in straight lines instead of the long-looping kind of... I mean, he's trying mm-hmm. to be defensively responsible, but in the playoffs, I think you need to inflict a little bit of damage and hurry up the, hurry up the <laughs> offensive team. 
to create turnovers to to go the other way. And I, I think he was doing that more in Game Seven and against Calgary. I think you you step it up another notch and and you know um, you sacrifice a little bit of defensive responsibility and go your big body go inflict some damage, create some turnovers, and start funneling everything to the net. Go to the net. Great havoc in front of the net, and and bang in, you know, bang in rebound goals, and they don't have to be pretty, but uh, you know, go create a scene, um, and and just you know, get your hands dirty. Yeah, and and who would you play him with? <sighs> Honestly, you know, I I didn't mind him and Cassian together. I, I know a lot of people frown upon that, but. Um, you know, I think he watches Zach and, and Zach's hitting everything that moves and that, that can kind of, uh, you know, wear off on him and, and he starts to pick up a little bit of that. But the two of those guys, if they're together, they need a good center. I, I think it's got to be either Ryan McLeod or, or Connor. So, mm-hmm. And the other thing is too, like the, the Flames don't line match as much as the Kings do. You know, Daryl Sutter is going to ro- want to roll four lines. Um, whereas for the Kings to be successful, they needed to have their top two defensive centers out against McDavid and Dreisaitl as much as possible. And they were still able to overcome that, which is another reason that gives me hope going into this series because the Flames don't have two shutdown guys like that, um, at least up front. Uh, you know, for, for a guy like Jesse... I think he thrives more in a top six role, but at this time of year, if it's playoffs and he is struggling a little bit, it's hard to say like, you know, you're, that's a permanent spot for you. And, and maybe things will get juggled around because of the dry sidle situation. We also saw, I think about six different line combinations, I think in game six, when uh, when Darnell Nurse was out because of the suspension, they they were just running. Uh, it seemed like a different line out there, shift after shift. All these different combinations from Hyman and Nuge playing with uh, Connor too. You'd see him out there another shift with uh, Leon and uh, Yamamoto. Just there was no set lines for even a full period. I think. And going into a, a, a game against the Flames where they are going to come at you wave after wave with, with their forecheck and, and with their lines, you, you, you're you going to have to be ready for it. And if Jesse has a set spot on the team in the lineup where he knows he's going to play night after night, I think that uh, gives him a better chance for success. Kirk, what do you think? Yeah, well, that's the beauty of the 11-7 setup, right? Like mm-hmm. you can you can definitely uh, rule out whatever you want there. You, you definitely have uh, you can shuffle the deck of cards there and and they make give them fits. Like um, the downside of it is if if Jesse doesn't really secure that, like doesn't lock it down within the first or you know second shift, there he'll be lost in the wash. And I, I, I'm. I'm like every other fan out there, you know, I want him to succeed. I want him to, to finish, you know, in front of the, especially in front of the net. And, you know, I think for him going into the series, just to get in front of the net, create havoc there with that, that big body, they only like that, get that big frame in front of, uh, in front of Markstrom and, and create some screens and then, you know, just 
just shoot for the point or shoot from wherever, you know, just, just give him fits. I think the scoring uh, touch will come too. Like I know you mentioned that and maybe he'll never be a 30 goal guy. We don't know, but I think that he does have the potential to score 20 to 25 goals. Um, he, he does have to bear down on a few more of those chances, but you know, this is a, this is a player that does a lot of good things other than putting the puck in the net too. We have to remember that, you know, he's, he's a player that contributes at both ends of the rink. He does a lot of the dirty work for Connor. He can extend plays. He's got that size and that long reach, but uh, yeah, I mean, if he could, if he could put a few more pucks in the net, that would obviously help too. Um, Mike, just going back to you, uh, did you agree uh, that uh, if, uh, Jesse has sort of a set of line mates for the entire series. It improves his chances of success than having him move around dependent on the game. Um, I, I kind of think that if he's playing well, he's going to not be shuffled throughout the lineup. So it, mm-hmm. all, hinges, it all hinges on his play. But yeah, I mean, if if you have you know the same line mates, you get to know their tendencies and what they're all about and it's easier to play the game for sure definitely um looking at their opponent now what do you think will be the biggest challenge for the oilers to overcome against the flames in this series i uh yeah kirk sorry you go ahead (laughs) (laughs) no worries man uh i think just uh Leaning back to the regular season, the way they played Connor, they, uh, you know, sometimes they, you know, just get in his kitchen and, and not try to, not try to, you know, allow him to create havoc or create plays. Um, I, I think puck move, movement is a big deal for for uh, for Edmonton. They gotta they gotta move it quick. The thing about Calgary is is they're deep. They and. If they do have Tanev and, and Shillington playing, um, their defense is going to be cranked up to, to 11 there as well. But And it sounds I, like Tanev won't play in game one and Shillington might not as well, right? Well, I don't know. They I, I looked at the Calgary Twitter feed there today and it's they were on the ice skating. So could be a game time decision mm-hmm. or it could be, you know, it could be, you know, it could be just a... Just a, um, just could be just a fluke. mental game. Yeah, be a mental of, game. A bit yeah. of a gamesmanship between uh, Sutter and and Woodcroft keep him on his toes. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I think just uh, just the overall, it, it'll be a run and gun. I, I'm I'm assuming it will be you know a track meet there, but I I, I don't know. It's. I think that first game is going to be the litmus test and it's going to set the tone for sure, just like any other series. And Mike, what do you think will be the the toughest obstacle for the Oilers to go up against when they take on Calgary tomorrow night? You know, there's an emotional high from, from winning a series in game seven. So, you know, are you fully over that and, and focused on the second round or are you still living? of beating the kings um if they're what they on saturday night 
um, they'll, they'll be just fine. Uh, this team can complete, compete with the Calgary Flames. I mean, Jacob Markstrom is a is a really good goalie, but if Smith plays like he did the um, through the most of the series, uh, I think we'll be fine. Um, have to match kind of Calgary's physicality that they're going to want to bring, but not get sucked into you know a lot of the um, scrum sh- shenanigans <laughs> and make Calgary take you know penalties and just light them up with the power play. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. I I think that if the Oilers can get as many opportunities with the man advantage that they had in the first series, then it does increase their odds. And I think that there were still a lot of missed calls, but at the same time, it was a, an improvement from years past, at least. So we have to look at it as a positive there. Uh, you know, this is going to be a physical series. You know that the flames are going to want to play a, a big tough style. They're going to lean on the Oilers. Um, they're going to give McDavid as little space as possible. So he's going to have to break through that. Um, do you think that he has a chance to be even more offensively dynamic against the Flames than against the Kings because they don't have the shutdown centers that the Kings had? But the Flames probably have a better defense. So where does that all come out? Kirk, uh, go to you. I. It's tough to say. I, like I said, I, I don't want to defer back to the regular season there, but I think you have to kind of create open spaces there for a lot of Connor to, to do his thing. Um, I, I'm not sure. I, I anything can happen. Um, as Dursa said there, that, 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 that house will probably be rocking there in Calgary and, and same thing, you know, with that emotional high, you know, keep yourself in check type of deal. Um, it might be, it might be good. It might be bad. Until until the puck drops, you never know what's really going to happen. Yeah, I I mean it, it, it's hard to say, but I I just think that the way he's playing right now, it almost seems like it doesn't matter what team he comes up against, he's going to be able to put up his points. Mike, do you anticipate another two point per game average from uh, McDavid in this series? I think he's going to go to another level again. I, I really think that he's in that refuse to lose kind of mindset and he will do whatever it takes to will this team, you know, forward. I'm not saying they're going to win the series, but uh, he's going to do his best to uh, keep them in the fight for sure. If not, uh, you know, lead the charge and, and get him into the third round. Um, I, I just think that, you know, LA actually has better team speed. Um, so I think Calgary's a little slower, but they're also a little bigger, and it's going to be more of a trench warfare kind of game. But I do think he's going to find ways to get his open ice and, and get his. And he might not get a lot of it either. Like maybe there'll only be two or three chances a game. But as long as the puck ends up in the back of their net on one of those three opportunities, then that's going to be a huge uh, plus for the Oilers. And uh, that's that, and that's just off the rush. So I, I expect that he'll be able to create uh, offense uh, through the cycle in the offensive zone as well as if they do get a power player too. So I think uh, you know he is going up against maybe even a better goalie than he played in the first series in quick and uh, an improved deep defense if they're healthy, but. Um, right now he just seems like he's not going to be stopped. He's going to continue to lead this team. And, uh, hopefully the, we're going to see even, uh, more guys step up. Like the, there were some, some depth, uh, 
goals being scored in in this series and if if that can continue and they can get contributions from throughout the lineup then they're going to have a much better chance because you know that Calgary does have several strong offensive attackers as well. I think I mean they had 340 goal scorers this year so Mike Smith is going to be tested as well. Um how big of a factor do you think Evander Kane is going to be in this series both from a physical perspective as well as uh, an offensive perspective? Mike, I'll go back to you. Uh, what do you see uh from Kane in this series? I th- I think the <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. I think the Kane acquisition is is really going to be you know tested in, in this series. I, I think you know acquiring him all of a sudden turned us from the team that you know got pushed around a little bit to a team that can push back. And I think he's woken up you know a couple of sleeping beauties in in Zach Cassian and <laughs> um, Josh Alden and, and there there's some other guys that that are willing to play a physical brand of hockey now. Um, cause they probably feel, you know, a, a little bit taller and a little bit more bulletproof than they did before we had them. I, I really think his speed, his physicality, his ability to fight and his ability to score, um, off the rush are, are going to pay dividends in this series. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching Evander Kane playing his first battle of Alberta in the playoffs. And yeah, it should be fun. Kirk, uh, I'll go to you. What do you think uh, Kane's chances of having a major impact in the series are both from, like I said, uh, being able to play an aggressive physical style and also contribute offensively? A hundred percent. You know, uh, he uh, seven goals there in the first series pretty much says it all. Um, granted, a few were, were empty netters, but still like he, he contributes to all factors and, I wouldn't mind seeing him and, and Lucic drop the mitts there and, and have Adder <laughs> there too, you know. Uh, that'd be an interesting tilt. But, but yeah, no, uh, he, he's definitely the X factor, you know, and he he makes makes it happen. Like he just, he, he'll deliver a hit, you know, uh, or, you know, make a play or, or he's got a lethal shot as mm-hmm. he did, as he's demonstrated all season there since he's joined seven the goals in seven games in the playoffs alone. He had 22 goals at half a season during the regular season yeah. with the Oilers. I mean, I think that he's exceeded all expectations to this point. Oh, for sure. Like, and yeah, you can't ask any any more from the guy, you know. And I, I think he'll definitely bring that physicality along with Cassian and and Archibald, and and uh, just it'll 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 be another be another tool in the in the toolbox. He'll definitely use for sure. And we saw him moved away from McDavid a little bit recently uh, because of some of those line juggling situations and and going with uh, eleven forwards and seven uh, D men. Do you think that it's a wise decision to go to just keep him with just stapled to Connor for the rest of the series? Have a one shot scorer like that with the best uh, playmaker on the team, Mike. Uh, well, what would you do with uh, with Kane in terms of uh, finding a spot for him in the lineup? Yeah, that that still goes back to where Leon's at. Um, yeah, yeah, I I think that's kind of. What what makes a lot of your lineup decisions right there? Because if you kind of have to, if you're put in a position where you've got to put Leon out there with Connor, just because he's having a hard time, then I don't think you want to load that up with Evander Kane. I think what uh, would 
before um, when Kane with Hyman and, and Nuge, yeah. I think is, is probably the thing to, to do. But I mean, if Leon's okay to center his own line, then yeah, put him out there with Connor, and that gives Connor a little bit of protection for the shenanigans as well. But your decision's kind of made based on on how Leon's doing. And if he does end up playing with Nuge, I mean, that gives uh, him an, another shooter to play with as well. Like, let's not forget, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is an excellent passer. And, you know, b- before McDavid came to town, he was the top playmaker on the team who was running the power play off the half wall. So, uh, and, and even in the bumper position too. So to have him uh, have a, a, another goal score in his line like that, I mean, that gives him an option on the left side with Vander Kane. And, and the the great thing about Hyman playing his off wing is you can also move him back to the right side if you have to. So uh, I wonder if we're going to see a lineup that looks something like that tomorrow night. But uh, time will tell. Okay, uh, just to wrap up the show here, I want to do some predictions with you guys. So who will lead the Oilers in goals and who will lead them in points in this series and how many will they finish with? Kirk, take it away. Got to go with Connor uh, once again. Um, For both? Yeah, for sure. Um, I'd have to say six goals. Oh... Probably about twelve points. I you know split right down the middle. Once again, I mean that'd be another awesome series. Evander Kane obviously did lead the Oilers in goals in the first round with seven, and Connor in points with fourteen. Mike, uh, what are your predictions? Yeah, I'm gonna say that McDavid puts up sixteen points in this series, wow. and, <laughs> and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say. Vander Kane, he has six goals in the series, too. 13 goals through two rounds. That would get him only six away from tying the NHL record for most goals in a single playoff year. Uh, makes you think that he'd have a good chance to be the first player to ever get to 20 in NHL history if uh, if he had a round like that. And uh, the way he's shooting the puck right now, it, it could happen. Um, and the final question for you guys tonight I think we're all on the same page here, but <laughs> who will win the series and how many games? Uh, Mike, I'll let you go again. I don't want to do this because I called the Oilers uh, in five over the Kings and it ended up going hmm. seven. Um, I also had uh, Oilers in five and uh, it felt like Oilers in six seemed like the safer option, but I, I, th- I thought that they would have a, uh, Maybe an, a little easier time with them than they ended up having, and credit to the Kings for pushing them as hard as they did. But yeah, anyway, go ahead. And and not that I'm superstitious, but I may be a little stitious. <laughs> I uh, I, saved, I saved my playoff beard that I had going uh, uh, on Saturday before the game. So and we still found a way to win that. So maybe okay. I'm pan- maybe I'm panicking over nothing, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I think this is our year to get to the Western Conference final. Um, I don't want to call how many games, though. Okay. Checking it out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Kirk, I hope you're not going to shave your playoff beard. No, uh, I'm not that super superstitious or even a little bit stitious. I'll... uh, I, I, if you follow me on Twitter, I I posted all my predictions there, just like the first round, and I'm going to say, you know, what the hey... 
Oilers and seven, make it a make it another legendary series, just like the last Battle of Alberta. I've got Oilers in seven as well. And I mean, because they're gonna be there's gonna be four games on the road, they have to at least win one game in their building. And why not get it out of the way in game one tomorrow night? Uh, guys, I just want to thank you again so much for joining me on the podcast tonight to preview this series and talk about uh, an epic Game 7 that I don't think uh, Oilers fans will forget anytime soon. Uh, probably for uh, the younger generation, one of the most uh, memorable games that they've ever seen. And even I've been watching this team for over 20 years now, and it's uh, it's right up there in, at, at the very least, the top 10 uh, of the the most memorable Oilers games I've ever watched. The, the 2006 run, uh, takes up quite a few of those spots. But uh, let's hope that uh, this year's playoff run can also reach the final and we'll have a, a whole new uh, list of memories to add to that list. So thanks again, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me there, Eric. All right. So for Mike Dursa and Kirk Morris, I'm Eric Friesen. This has been the 99 Forever Podcast. We're out.